for all things land development, planning and property. This is Property on Fire with Ian Walmsley. To find out how Ian can help you, visit propertyonfire.co.uk. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Property on Fire. So what do we have coming up in today's episode? As usual, several of you have been emailing in your questions to ian at propertyonfire.co.uk. Of course, this episode is no exception to that. We have questions about tattoo parlours and beauty salons and a question in relation to a self-builder. And we're also going to dive into EPCs and areas of great landscape value. A complete smorgasbord of property as usual this week. So without further ado, let's get started. But before we do, please do like, review and subscribe to this podcast via your favourite app and come with me on this property journey. Before we start with our first question, which has come in from Katrina and Miriam, the government has just released a new version of How to Rent. Now, it's essential that as a landlord, you give the updated guide to any new tenants, along with items such as gas safety certificate, both at the start and every year after the annual gas safety check, details of where the deposit is held, which you must protect within 30 days in the government approved scheme, and a copy of the EPC. Don't forget that any property that is now rented out on a new AST must be rated at E or above. So if you've got an F or G property that cannot now be rented out on new ASTs. And from the 31st of March 22, all rental properties must be E or higher, even for existing tenancies. And from the 1st of April 22, all new rentals must be D or higher. So that rules out E on any new tenancies. And on the 31st of March 2025, all rental properties are going to have to be rated band D or higher. And 2025 will come around sooner than you think. So if your property is even at an E or higher, it's probably is now the time to start thinking about how you could possibly improve that property going forward. I suspect that whilst the bands will stay the same, I am expecting EPCs to alter in the next year or two. Because currently, if you've got an all-electric property, you are hit harder than a property that is running on gas, for example. As you may know, that come 2025, you won't be able to put gas into a new build property. So I think the EPCs have to alter to catch up with all electric properties. We've just had the EPCs done for 22 flats on our development down in Devon. And I can tell you that getting a C is actually quite a good achievement for the flats. Although they've got very good insulation and modern heating and everything else, because they are all electric, you do get hit rather heavily on the EPC. And don't forget, it is a requirement if you're selling a property that you must have an EPC prior to actually selling that or indeed prior to marketing it. The only exception to that is you do not need to get an AST on a normal residential property for a listed building. You will need to get it, however, if you're going to rent that building out under an AST. But if you do get an EPC done on a listed building, then you will need to keep that EPC regularly replaced every 10 years when they expire. 
you can't then claim an exemption because it's a listed building. Apart from the EPC, the new how to rent document, gas safety and details of the deposit scheme, you're also going to need to provide details of the record of any electrical inspections. This is also altering. Any new tenancies must be checked every five years and from 1st of April 2021, all current tenancies will require a check every five years as well. I have put a link to the new how to rent document from the government in today's show notes. And don't forget, if you do not give the updated document at the start, or indeed fail to do any of the other items that you are required to do, you may not be able to serve notice on your tenants. This could cause you a big problem in the future. So get it right now. Now I need to give you an apology and that apology is in relationship to last week's episode. It would seem a few of you have tweeted me at Property on Fire about the joke from Darren Doe after his financial and mortgage update. Apparently you want more of them. So I'm going to apologise not only about that joke but about the fact that you actually want more. Crazy people. (laughs) Anyway, Darren will be back on the show very, very soon with some more of his updates. So keep listening and subscribe to the podcast so you do not miss any of those future updates. Right, on to our first question. And this has been asked by a couple of people. So thanks to Katrina Rosenberg and Miriam Barlow for your questions on converting shops to tattoo parlours and beauty salons. Now, I would normally answer this question, or indeed I always used to answer this question, with a simple, you'll just need to apply for planning permission. But may you be I don't have to anymore. Let me explain. Before the 1st of September 2020, tattoo parlours were always sui generis. In other words, a class of their own, as were beauty salons. With anything in sui generis, you need planning permission to go to any other sui generis use, or indeed to residential, or any other use. There are a couple of permitted development rights to change the use of one or two of them, but they are an exception rather than a rule, such as casinos and laundrettes. But what are they now? The issue is that there isn't a really a complete list of property types in sui generis. Yep, there's a few examples listed in the use class order 1987 as amended, such as petrol stations, scrapyards, hostels, theatres, laundrettes, etc. But what it does say is that if a use is not specified in any of the use classes within Schedule 1 or Schedule 2, then they are deemed to be outside of the use class order. And we call this sui generis, or a class of their own. But the problem is that the new class E no longer specifies all the various options that used to exist under use class A, which was in existence before 1st of September, such as post offices, shops, funeral directors, internet cafes, etc. Now, when it comes to use class E, part C of it just says, for the provision of the following kinds of services, principally to visiting members of the public, subsection 1 is financial services, subsection 2, professional services, other than health or medical services, or subsection 3, any other services which it is appropriate to provide in a commercial, business or service locality. So you can see it is very simply written there and there are no real examples given. And even the health and medical services, which 
are excluded within professional services. They are included elsewhere. So it's no longer a case of saying that X, Y or Z is not listed in the use class order and therefore it must be sui generis. So going back to our tattoo parlour and beauty salon, I don't think they're included in use class E under part E, which says the provision of medical or health services principally to visiting members of the public, except for the use of premises attached to the residence of consultant or practitioner. In plain English, that is simply doctors and dentists and such like, and not really tattoo parlours and beauty salons. So we can't claim their use class E under that. However, do they actually come under part C? which, as I said earlier, is for the provision of the following kinds of services principally to visiting members of the public. Subsection 3, which is for any other services which is it is appropriate to provide in a commercial business or service locality. I would suggest that these could well come under use class E now, as they're certainly a service provided in a commercial business or service locality as I guess are massage parlours. So if they do fall under use class E, it means that anything else in use class E, such as a restaurant or shop or offices or anything else, could be converted to one of these uses. And likewise, you could convert from what were possibly considered as sui generis before to any other use within use class E. Of course, you may need additional license to actually operate the business, but as it's not development, you could actually just go and make the conversion. So going back to the question asked by Katrina Rosenberg and Miriam Barlow about permission to change a shop to either a tattoo parlour or beauty salon, I'm going to have to honestly say, I'm not sure. Yes, you could apply for planning permission, as you would have needed to prior to the 1st of September 2020. Or, if these do come under use class E, you can just go ahead as it's not development. As with a lot of these recent changes, I think it's left more questions than answers. Personally, my gut feeling is they do come under use class E, but until we see an appeal decision by the inspectorate, the jury is possibly still out. But if you do feel it comes under part C of use class E, in other words, for the provision of the following kinds of services, principally to visiting members of the public, Subsection 3 for any other services which is appropriate to provide in a commercial business or service locality, then please go ahead. Now remember that even if you did submit a planning application, you do not need to enact it. And indeed, if you submitted a planning application and it got refused, that would not prevent you from undertaking a change of use if that new use is still within use class E, as that's not development. So I hope I've half answered your question, Katrina and Miriam. The simple fact is, I'm really not 100% sure. As I said earlier, I think my gut feeling is they are in use class E, so you can just go ahead and convert them. But as the whole of use class E is fairly vague, I'm not too sure where the argument would actually come that these are still classes sui generis. If you've got any questions remaining on use class E, or anything else, I'll put a link to it in today's show notes. But also feel free to reach out again to ian at propertyonfire.co.uk and I'll be more than happy to help you further with any particular questions you may have. This is Property on Fire with Ian Walmsley. And now, Ian's A to Z of property. As you may know by now, 
I'm slowly going through the alphabet from A to Z and describing various phrases and acronyms that you may have come across on your property journey. If you've missed any of the previous episodes of Ian's A to Z of property, please do feel free to download and listen to any of the previous episodes. Well, we're still on the letter A, and this week it is AGLV, which stands for Area of Great Landscape Value. So what is an AGLV? Well, many local authorities in England currently use local landscape designations to protect locally important landscapes, one of which is the Area of Great Landscape Value, or AGLV for short. An AGLV is an area of land in England which is considered to be of high landscape quality with strong distinctive characteristics which make them particularly sensitive to development. The designation was established under the Town and Country Planning Act 1947. Within ALGVs, the primary objective is conservation and the enhancement of their landscape quality and individual character. Now these do actually sit at the third level of landscape protection, but this does not limit their importance. And if your land or your property is within an AGLV, then the local authority will consider it in any planning application that you might make. So within the UK, we actually have three levels of landscape and land designations. These are broken down into international, national, and then those controlled by the local authority. So internationally, we have what are called special protection areas, then special areas of conservation, and the one you will probably have heard of more commonly is World Heritage Sites. Now nationally, we have national parks, areas of outstanding national beauty, or AONB, the broads, triple SIs, which are site of special scientific interest, and then you have the local designations controlled by the local authorities, and this is where the area of great landscape value or AGLV will actually sit. Now it's worth pointing out here that an AGLV should not actually prevent any development, but it will get considered by the local authority if it exists in the area. And if you're looking at permitted development, then the AGLV is not mentioned at all, and neither is similar areas such as Greenbelt. So these areas will not prevent you from taking advantage of the general permitted development order. Now on to our second question, and this has been emailed to ian at propertyonfire.co.uk, and it comes from Nicholas Mallory. So thank you, Nicholas, for your question this week. Now he's asking a question about SIL, or Community Infrastructure Levy, and asking whether he has to pay it on the property that he is building for his family. Now this question follows on from the one last week in episode 6, which was about sill on a sui generis property. If you missed that episode, why not download it today via your favourite app? Now the short answer for you, Nicholas, is probably not if you do meet certain criteria, and we'll go into what those criteria are. Now, SIL is payable if you have a new build and you are creating one or more new dwellings. It is also applicable if you are adding more than 100 square metres to a home, for example. However, if you create a new home as a self-builder and live in it for three years, then you can claim exemption. But 
Now, this is very important. You must, however, submit the form before you start work or you will lose the right to any exemption. Now, this actually applies to any development that you may actually be doing on any property where SIL is in action. It is always vital that you do complete the form prior to starting work, because if you do not and you have to pay SIL, then the local authority will probably ask you to pay that bill in one go rather than allowing you to pay in installments. And if you were exempt, such as under a self-builder scheme, then you will not be exempt and you will have to pay the normal SIL, I'm afraid. And trust me, with SIL running to over £400 a square metre in some areas, that can be a pretty hefty bill. Now, I'm guessing that many will try and claim a building as being self-build and try and avoid SIL, so I suspect local authorities are fairly hot on checking these. So not only will you have to live in the property for three years, you may also be asked to prove that you've actually lived there and you've actually occupied it for three years. So this could mean having to provide utility bills that are in your name of the property and be able to prove that you've actually been there during that three-year period. But Nicholas, if you do qualify as a self-builder and you live in it for three years, then why not? You are able to claim an exemption. But please do fill in the required forms prior to starting work on the site. Now, I also had a third question tweeted to me at Property on Fire from Jamie asking whether he can actually fill in the form that I talked about in the last episode. Jamie has asked, as he only has one HMO, does he qualify as being able to complete the form and answer the questions? Jamie, it's a most certain yes. Anybody who is involved in property should be filling in that form because it is from those answers that the government will form the new General Permitted Development Order. And part of that could see the ability to convert anything within use class E to residential, including perhaps those tattoo parlours and salons that we talked about earlier. So please, yes, if you are in property, and I'm sure the majority of you are, please do fill in the forms and answer the various questions that the government has asked. The more support that we can give as a community to that questionnaire, the better chance we actually have of the ability to convert these properties from use class E to residential. Of course, if you object, then please say so in the questionnaire. I certainly don't wish it to be a one-sided thing. But yes, Jamie, you most certainly do qualify. It is not there for just planning consultants, planning geeks, or people that have a hundred properties or, or whatever. They want to hear from the ordinary Joe that lives in the street, or indeed the ordinary Jane. Now, if you missed the segment last week on the consultation document that has been issued by the government, then please do listen to episode six, where I do give all the information about it. Now, many thanks this week to Katrina and Miriam for your questions on your tattoo parlours and your beauty salons. And if they're businesses for you, then I wish you all the best in those 
new enterprises. And a big thank you to Nicholas for his question about SIL and indeed to Jamie for his tweet about the questionnaire released by the government. Don't forget to ping me an email or message me via Twitter on any question and I'll be very, very happy to help you out. So remember, if I can help you in your property journey, then please get in touch. Property on Fire with Ian Wormsley. Please use your podcast app to rate, review and subscribe to the show. And if you'd like a question answered on a future episode, email ian at propertyonfire.co.uk.